football, <laughs> baseball, <laughs> basketball, anything sports. Auburn's 91.1 FM WEGL presents the scoreboard with your co-hosts, Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Your calls are welcomed at 334-844-9345 or follow them on Twitter at Jacob underscore Hillman 3 or at Bay underscore Marks. Now, let's take a look at the scoreboard with Bay and Jacob. Welcome into today's scoreboard podcast here on Weagle 91.1 Transistor, Spotify, Apple Music, however you're listening. Today we're not having a live show, but decided to record something for you guys. I'm Jacob Hillman, joined by Bay Marks as usual, and got a lot to talk about today. We're going to lead off with Auburn football. The 2021 schedule was released yesterday, the SEC releasing all of all 14 teams' SEC schedules. And that gave Auburn exactly what they're going to be looking at in the 2021 season. A little bit later than usual. Usually it comes out back in October. But with COVID, the SEC wasn't focused on that. They were focused on getting the season done and finished. So, you know, Bay, first takeaways from the 2021 schedule. Well, I think the first thing is you have to notice the dates. I mean, obviously they're projecting or they are predicting with the schedule that COVID will be nearly over hopefully by then because the season this year will start on September 4th, the regular season that is, and the regular season should be done before the beginning of December begins by the end of November. So they are going ahead and going back to that normal late August, early September to the last week of November, and then they'll hopefully play the SEC Championship the week after. But um, biggest takeaways from this thing, this schedule this year, obviously first is the fact that Auburn starts the season off with all four non-con games and then finishes a straight eight-game SEC slate. You look and you see Auburn starts the season off with Akron and then Alabama State, Alabama State, who they played at home two years ago, then traveling up to Happy Valley, which me and Jacob have talked about, you know, making a trip up there. I wouldn't be opposed to it. Talk about that for years, honestly. Yes, because hopefully it'll be full stadium by then. We can experience a true wideout, so me and Jacob might have to make that trip. But I think that's the biggest takeaway is the fact that you start off with your first four games non-con three of them supposedly you're supposed to win all three of the or three of the four and then you follow with the slate of eight straight sec games and those two start out with at lsu and the hosting georgia yeah and that's my biggest takeaway is starting at lsu and coming right back home to face georgia that's gonna be a difficult start for the brian harson era in the sec lsu obviously wasn't up to par last year they're dealing with a lot of stuff they had a bowl ban this past season not like it mattered much. They were going to make a very small bowl game because they had a disappointing season. But still, Auburn hasn't won in Baton Rouge since before we were alive. And that is a it's a big game just to start off the SEC slate. And then no matter how that game goes, you're coming right back home the next week and facing Georgia. That Georgia game being moved up permanently from the Amon corner slate with Alabama due to Allen Green, Gus Malzahn, always talking about how difficult it is to play at Alabama and at Georgia in the same year in within three weeks. So really, that is what I look at, and that's going to be what sets the tone for next season. And what better way for Brian Harson to make a statement in the SEC is not only travel to Happy Valley and try and put on a, a performance, but try and end a streak in the Bayou against LSU and then turn around and beat your second biggest rival at home. I mean, Brian Harson's first six games can kind of set the tone for the way that his first few years on the Plains can shape out. Uh, you go into Penn State, you put up a fighting performance, and then you come back and you beat LSU and Georgia. I think Auburn fans are happy with that. 
Auburn fans probably don't expect to win that at Penn State game. Now, they were very disappointed this season as well. They didn't have a real great season. But, you know, James Franklin, he's a great coach. He could always have them turn around and have a great year next year, which I think that they're projected to have a pretty solid year. So that's a big thing is just seeing how Brian Harson makes an impact early in their season. And something else, if you were an Auburn fan and you turned around and looked at the schedule was that I want to point out, Jacob, was you look towards the back half of the schedule. Three out of your last five are at home. But you go, every game is home away, home away, home away. And Auburn's last road game of the regular season will be at South Carolina. Now, the reason that is, they don't normally do that, but that's because of COVID. They had to schedule another game for Auburn last year. Yeah, and that's obviously a big game. You've taken a lot of coaches from South Carolina. It's going to be a revenge game for guys like Bo Nix. Everyone that's returning on this roster, they're going to remember that South Carolina game from this past season where they fell to Will Muschamp's Gamecocks. And, I mean, I think the big thing about the – home away, home away, there's no, you don't, not at all this season you play back-to-back road games, and that's going to help a lot with this team that's going to be transitioning under a new new head coach, new coaching staff, and I mean, you know, looking at, just thinking, just go ahead and way too early prediction what the record might be, I don't expect a great season from Auburn next season, just going to go ahead and put that out there, it's going to be a lot of development and a big transition, I think in the next few years, it's going to take a little while because this isn't like Gene Chizik coming in or Gus Malzahn. You're not going to be in the national championship within two years like you were with those guys. Ryan Harson's going to take some time, and this year might be mediocre, might be 7-5 or even 6-6 six and six because the SEC is going to be difficult as usual. I think Auburn starts off 4-0. I think they'll beat Penn State at Penn State because I just – I don't see that Penn State team bouncing back from this past season. Like, the way we've seen them over the past decade, they've been great. But I'm I'm starting to feel like this might be a falling off point for them where they're going to have to get James Franklin out of there and bring in a new coach. So I do think Auburn starts 4-0. After that SEC play, that's where it's a big question mark. It's a big question mark for them. I agree. And I think a big thing, too, is also you have to remember, just like Jacob said, Gene Chizik came to a program – that finished 5-7 and seven the year before, but had Tommy Tupperville, who had had a great several years at Auburn. Gus Malzahn comes in from Gene Chizik, who had already laid his foundation and had a very terrible year, and he had the guys that he originally recruited two years before. Um, and Brian Harson's coming into a completely different situation, and I think Jacob's correct. This year will be a very developmental year. I don't think I can give an overall record right now just because I need to see how Auburn finishes signing day. I also need to see what the spring looks like, what we're hearing out of practice. I think after the spring and once we start getting into summer workouts is when you can really really make that prediction. I will go against Jacob here. I do think we start out 3-1. and one. I don't think we beat Penn State. I will say, though, Auburn finishes above high, above 500. They won't finish at or below. Auburn will finish at least 7-5 and five next year. So what are the SEC games you look at that you are confident in Auburn winning? Confident Auburn winning, for one, obviously, Mississippi State at home. They were not a great team last year, not looking to be a great team next year. Mississippi State at home is definitely one Auburn will win, as well as Ole Miss. Um, I think that's going to be a shootout, but I think Auburn's going to slip away with home field advantage. I don't think any of the rest of the ones are guarantees. Maybe at South Carolina, because they just fired Will Muschamp, got a brand new coach in this year. I believe it's Beamer's son. Um, so I think that's the only one you could kind of put a go ahead and put a W on. But the rest of the games are at LSU, Georgia at home. Both of those are tough teams year in and out. Arkansas, who was on the rise last year at Arkansas, the way Auburn's game ended with them last year, that's a <laughs> recipe for Arkansas putting a butt whooping on Auburn. So that's why I say the rest of them aren't guarantees. Texas A&M had a great year last year, although Kellen Mond will be leaving, and then obviously Alabama. Yeah, I do think it's gonna, it's difficult to pick a record right now because I think Mississippi State and Ole Miss are the two games 
Auburn fans should be most confident in just Ole Miss only because they're at home. Yes. I think Ole Miss is going to be a great team next year. I think that defense is going to start improving. But when you look at South Carolina being on the road in November, right before the Iron Bowl, that it's hard for me to be more confident in that game than Ole Miss. But I still do think that Auburn will beat Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and South Carolina. That, that'll give them a 7-5 and five record. Anything else would just be a cherry on top. If you beat LSU, which I think this is the best year to beat LSU at Baton Rouge. At Baton Rouge, yeah. So I think you really to get off on a hot start for Brian Harson, if he goes in and wins that game, I mean, Auburn fans are going to be in love. Because you think about the last several times Auburn's played in Baton Rouge. Let's think, Gus Malzahn's first year, Auburn came back after being down a lot, made it a good game, and then they ended up losing. 2015, Auburn had that highly favorable year, gets embarrassed. 2017, Auburn has a huge lead on the road, blows it to an average LSU team, and then obviously in 2019 with Joe Burrow, Auburn loses the closest game to LSU won all year. So um, Auburn fans have definitely experienced disappointment since 1999 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I agree with Jacob. If, they, if we're going to win in Baton Rouge this year, if you're Auburn, you have to tell your guys, hey, this is our year to win here. Yeah, and I mean, you, you only look at the Gus Malzahn years. I'm sure other Auburn fans are thinking about, oh, man, let's look at those Tommy Tuberville years. It was crazy to think that Tuberville didn't even win there. It's I mean, crazy. It's, it's nuts. 2007 is still the one that just lives in my mind forever. Gerard Powers almost broke that pass up. But, nonetheless, I also think this is the year against Georgia at home. Now, I don't think Auburn's going to beat Georgia, but... This might be the year where you can finally, you know, beat Georgia and maybe lose at Alabama in the, the year because Auburn doesn't seem to ever Do match up the other. Yeah, it's just the other until obviously twenty nineteen and twenty seventeen. But twenty seventeen, Auburn beat Georgia and Alabama. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. SEC yeah. championship. Well, the thing too is also like that you have to think about too. Maybe that's going to be that part of the season where everybody's hyping up JT Daniels from last year. He obviously came in after Stetson Bennett had started the season. Uh, he finished very strong with a come from behind win against Cincinnati in the bowl game. So if you're an Auburn fan, you kind of have to hope you play Georgia for your sixth game of the year. You kind of have to hope that's that either midseason slump that some quarterbacks take after starting off high, and you really fear a quarterback starting off slow and that being his peak point of the season, he starts to get really hot. That's my biggest concern is JT Daniels. Yeah, JT Daniels, he could be a great quarterback for Georgia. And Georgia's obviously, they've had quarterback controversies and issues in the past. Drake Fromm was a very solid quarterback for them, but I mean, even him, they were still controversy around him because of Justin Fields who went on to have a great career at Ohio State but it's one of those games where I think Auburn needs to at least play Georgia close because Georgia's going to be top 10 in the country as they usually are so being at home and not always competing with Georgia they the most frustrating losses in my opinion at the Gus Malzahn era were always against Georgia 2015 2016 those pretty bad the SEC championship 2017 that was pretty bad. This past year was bad as well. Yeah. Because Auburn was very hyped up. College game day. Um, I mean, it was on ESPN night game. It was set to be a great game, and then Auburn just looked terrible. But I agree. Um, and one last thing that I just want to point out about the schedule is, if you look at the schedule, after Auburn plays Arkansas for their seventh game of the year, they finally have their bye week. So Auburn's going to go through seven games just over the halfway point of their season and get a bye week. I think that's a great time for Auburn to get it. I think after about – I would have rather probably had it about after about five or six games just because of a new coaching staff and everything to get a week's rest. But I think that's also a decent time to have it. Yeah, I think other than the, the new coaching staff issue, I think that is a great place for it if you're ignoring that because, you know, three of those games are against Cupcakes, Akron, Alabama State, and Georgia State. You should win those games handedly. 
and then you've got Penn State, LSU, and Georgia. I mean, after that LSU and Georgia game, you're going to be ready to be done, but you got to stay focused for Arkansas, especially like you said, it's a recipe for Arkansas to get revenge Beat for the last year's. I mean, I, I'm with you. I don't know how that game's going to go, but right now, just the way I think it's going to go is Arkansas is going to win by a solid margin because Sam Pittman's building a program there. So Let's just hope it's not another, what was it, triple or quadruple overtime goodness. in 2015. 2015. I would. That was probably one of the, the the weirdest, one of the weirdest, most enjoyable games from that year to watch. It, it was an exciting game from that season because the rest of that season was not fun to watch. But that that one was a fun game to watch until the very end. But yes. I think that this schedule is other. I mean, I don't like going four straight non-con and then the rest of the SEC schedule. But I mean, I agree, and I don't like that part of the season either. But I do have to admit, you have to tell yourself that if you're the first-year head coach at Auburn, it doesn't get much better than playing your two biggest rivals at home. I mean, you start your tenure off at Auburn in an even year when you're playing both of them on the road, it doesn't get much tougher than that. So I think Brian Harson kind of really lucked out by getting both of these opponents at home this year because um, they obviously do the home-and-home home every year. But um, I think it's going to be interesting. I think Auburn's in for a really, really big spring. They have signing day coming up. They're, they're poised to finish strong. Um, they're saying their biggest needs right now with all the departures is running back. And obviously the offensive and defensive side of the line. Um, so we'll see how signing day finishes. We'll see how the spring goes, and I think we can give a real definite answer of the 2021 football record. Yeah, Auburn football began winter workouts back on Monday, the 25th. So they're already getting into it. And I, I know Jeff Pittman, the new strength and conditioning coach, they're doing it differently than it used to be. I mean, they're up at 5 a.m. They're early in the athletic complex. I think I already out, like so. Sam Pittman. I I love him. I think so too. He's he seems to be a guy that's going to keep these guys focused, and they're going to be ready whenever the season starts. I'm going to have to go knock on Sam Pittman's office door and get one <laughs> of those new like 1-0 and o shirts because that's the new mantra is 1-0. and o. I love that saying. That, those those shirts are beautiful, and I, I like the fourth and one. I love the fourth and one mentality. I like these mentalities that Brian Harson's implemented he's, for all He's And we've talked about this before. or I don't think we really got a chance to talk about it, but Brian Harson in a rabbit hole that we're going down is – a completely different-minded coach than I think Gus Malzahn. Now, a place that they are very similar that he mentioned in his press conference is character and integrity. Mm-hmm. You knew with Gus Malzahn, his team, and his players and recruits would always be filled with character and integrity. Brian Harson mentioned that as well, but Brian Harson, I mean, Gus kind of talked about hard-nosed Auburn football. Gus was more of the athletic and speedy kind of guy. You can really expect Brian Harson and his staff to put together a very physical, hard-nosed, hitting, smash-mouth football team. And I think that's where Brian Harson's really going to find success is trying to build a tough SEC team. Because outside of the big names of Bama, LSU, Georgia, and Florida, every other team kind of just diminishes in size and speed and athleticism. And I think we're, that's where Harson's trying to get Auburn back to. Auburn really lacked that this year. Now, Harson, I think, is going to be the kind of, the mentality-wise, it's going to be a coach that Auburn fans love. Moving on to Auburn basketball. Auburn's coming off a big victory against the 12th-ranked team in the country, Missouri, 88-82 on Tuesday, and it was another Sharif Cooper game. As always, ever since he's come back. 28 points. It was 18 free throws, so as you would imagine, a lot of Missouri fans were not happy with the officiating, but I I mean, I didn't see a problem with the officiating. I thought it was evenly called back and forth. I mean, I, the biggest problem I had was personally was Missouri getting away with a lot of travels inside of the paint, but, well, I, I digress. Sharif Cooper, 28 points, 7 assists, 8 rebounds. Listen, guys, he's gone. I'm no, just saying. stop. He's We're not, going pro. We did this, you did this on the show last week. We're not doing this. We're keeping Sharif for another year. Auburn fans cheered at the end of the game. He smiled. He wants to come back and play with Jabari Smith. 
I'm, I'm speaking into existence. So, let's see. The arguments against Sharif Cooper going pro are all. His three-point shot isn't good enough. He wants to play with Jabari Smith. Wants to play in the tournament. In tournament. But look, let's look back to last year. Isaac Okoro. Those were the exact same three arguments, and he went pro and went fifth overall. Yeah. And he also... And Sharif was also his high school teammate and, like, best friend, so... I don't know. I just... I also think that there are two completely different players, which obviously, you know... You can't make that comparison between the two, but like you just said, I digress. But anyways, back to the Missouri game. Um, like Jacob mentioned, it was another Sharif Cooper show. He talked on the postgame show about how when he was in foul trouble, it was killing him just to sit on the bench for the end of the first half. And he didn't even start at the beginning of the second half. He had three fouls. I think Bruce knew that down the stretch, Missouri was going to play him tight, and he had to reserve some of those minutes. And then Bruce told him, hey, like try to be careful with those fouls. And then I think once Bruce said towards the end of the game, he still had like, three fouls with like less than 10 minutes to go he said all right go at him and if you have four fouls like just play smart and play through it and he did Sharif never fouled out Sharif came up clutch uh, down the end and uh, Sharif said that it was killing him to sit on the bench and that Missouri was fouling him a lot and that's what he knew he said I knew if they were going to foul me a lot I got to get to the free throw line tonight and he did Jacob mentioned it all the free throws that he shot the other night 21 he made 18 of them so um, he's he's definitely a big reason for Auburn's late success yeah I mean Auburn was only six for 21 from three and they scored 88 points yeah. That shows what this team Only can two do. guys made a three-pointer. I mean, JT Thor and Chris, Chris Moore. Moore. Chris Moore's a better shooter than Bryce Brown. <laughs> it's official. I mean, look, they've been telling Chris Moore in practice, according to him in his press conference, to keep shooting his shot. And he did that on Tuesday night, making those two threes. He even put that he put back a Miss Sharif Cooper layup in for two. So he scored a lot. That was his breakout game. You talk about Javon Franklin having a breakout game. It was. I mean, I was so impressed with Chris Moore. I mean, this team is so deep. Bob Tunde, Akinbola, he played eight minutes. Doesn't sound like a lot. He didn't. He only scored three points. Guess what? He had five blocks in those eight minutes. Yeah. I think we found stretches, stretches strength. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Auburn's like the highest blocking team in the nation right they now. They are. They're, I think it, they're tied with, I forget the other team, but they were tied going to Tuesday night, and that team did. It might have been SMU. Yeah. And SMU didn't play Tuesday night, so they were leading. I don't know what SMU did Wednesday or if they are playing tonight or whatever. But they're going back and forth with that team for first place. And I remember before the season started, I we might have talked about it on the show, but I know I definitely talked about it with friends and whoever. Auburn's probably going to block a lot of shots this year. They might go for the goaltending record. Yes, but, but they are. They're going to get the block blocking lead in the season. Well, so. where their perimeter defense lacks is where their rim protection you know, picks them up. I mean, Auburn's defense out on the perimeter. Obviously, you have Sharif and Jamal Johnson. who No knock on Jamal. His defense has improved. But then you have Allen, who when Allen's defense is great, it's great. So... Um, but then you have guys underneath that are like JT Thor, who's 6'10", Jalen Williams, who's 6'8", Dylan Cardwell, who's 6'11", and then you have guys like um, Devin Cambridge, who are only 6'6", but jump up in the air higher than anybody else on the team, who, I mean, he had a walk the other night as well, and you could just see his uh, presence in the paint. So it's it's kind of awesome to see Auburn's defense kind of starting to develop and try and play full games. I think that's where Auburn's really lacked, is if Auburn could pick up a few possessions defensively, their record would be different. And that's what Sharif Cooper said on the post-game um, interview the other night. He said, the two games that I played in that we lost, he said, those are one or two possession games. And he said, if we just improve our defense or we get a better shot look, then we have two games better of a record. Um, but yeah, Sharif Cooper did say on the post-game too, I told Jacob this the other night, Andy Birch from the voice of the Auburn Tigers was interviewing Sharif post-game, talking about his performance and everything. And he was talking to Sharif about playing Baylor on Saturday. And Sharif said something to the extent of like, every time we're out on the floor referring to Auburn we feel like we're the best team in the country I mean it shows because of you know it was kind of funny 
going into the game, a lot of people like sports gambling, Twitter, was talking about why is Auburn favored in this game? They're playing number twelve Missouri. They they're they're playing well. They're only Sharif two and a half point spread. I know, and they covered because Auburn's covered every game since Sharif has come. I, the Alabama game they pushed. They were four point underdogs. They lost by four. But it's just one of those things where this team plays to their opponent. Whether they're it, sometimes they play down to their opponent a little bit, but they definitely play up to their opponent. With that being said, moving on to Baylor. <laughs> A little bit of a the tougher test, yeah. This is one of those teams where, you know, everyone in the country is saying, all right, guys, what's your final four? Gonzaga, Baylor, and who and else? Yeah. <laughs> like, A.K.A. I, John Rothstein, it spreads. That's the thing. I don't know how this game on Saturday is going to go. I, I, if I'm putting a prediction out there, I should go ahead and say, I think Auburn loses 10, by 10 to 15. Auburn, Auburn will lose. But, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to see them put up a fight and make it close towards the end. So... And and that's what I was alluding was gonna say was this this has the feel of one of those games where you yeah I see the matchup predictor it's insanely in favor of Baylor ninety five point six percent wow but uh, back to what I was saying the feel of this game feels like one of those games where the road team starts out by playing very slow compared to the home team and the home team just starts putting it on putting it on putting it on and then after everybody's kind of decided like okay Baylor's putting the beat down on Auburn. Second half, when Auburn has nothing to lose, they start chipping away and chipping away and chipping away and lose by a reasonable and a respectful amount. So I agree with what you were saying. Yeah, and I just, it's it's a Davion Mitchell revenge game. Baylor just beat the brakes off Kansas State. I think it's 107 to 44 around there. Davion Mitchell scored a career high in points. He's one of the best defensive guards in the country. One of the best passers in the country. Jared Butler, he's one of the best players in the country. He, the only reason he's not going to win the player of the year awards because of Luke Garza, Luke Garza and the guy from Gonzaga. I can't recall his name, but this team is good. Yeah, they are. Very good. Don't expect to go in and win this game, and even if they lose by 15-plus points, it you're playing a team that is almost – I mean, I think this is going to be the easiest bracket to fill out based off the Final Four because you've got half the teams in. Exactly. Guaranteed. If one of these – if Gonzaga or Baylor gets upset in a tournament, it will be one of the bigger upsets in – years even if it's like a four seed that beats them it will be they're both undefeated and they've both pretty much dominated just by everybody they play um i could see both teams dropping maybe one game one or two games before the tournament comes just because you know nobody goes undefeated in college basketball we know that um but saturday's game like you said prediction earlier i don't predict auburn to win i predict them to lose anywhere between i'd honestly say probably like 15 15 to 17 points and that's being kind of generous because sharif will be playing I think Auburn goes down early by like 20 like they did against Gonzaga. Now I think Auburn's a lot better team now than they, when they played Gonzaga. And if Justin Powell's back, I would even cut it down to a 10 to 15 point loss. Yeah, and that's something we haven't even talked about, Justin Powell. I mean, something's going on with him, man. It's just probably a bad concussion. I mean, Bruce has said it in his interview. It's a head injury. He hasn't really used the word concussion other than talk about protocol. But he hasn't even seen the team except for COVID testing. Whenever he goes in to test for COVID, that's the only time he sees his team. And it's the only time he really leaves his room. So it's obviously a concussion that he's dealing with not very well. I Who knows when he'll be back? Because Bruce also said it's going to take about two weeks for him to really get back into gear. And he said, do the math. That means he's not going to be back into gear for except for the last two weeks of SEC play. Yeah, and I remember when I was in high school, I went through a concussion when I played basketball. I sat out for a week, didn't do anything. And it's, it's not like a doctor can assess you. You have to assess yourself. They make you sit in a dark room, can't really get on your phone or watch TV. Um, all this and that, and he, we all saw the play where he suffered. I mean, he hit his head hard. Yeah. So 
No, actually, I don't know if everyone did see it. I think a lot of people don't realize what happened. He smacked his head against stretches, which I don't know how stretch is fine, but I mean, now he's, I don't know if he's in the phase, like Jacob said, it's going to take him weeks to get back, and that's because once you go through, like, you're like, okay, my head's not really hurting anymore, you have to go through, um, I know when I was in high school, the trainers at Helena High School made me, like, um, walk up and down the court, like, 30 times one day and see how my head felt, and then when I said I felt fine, I said, okay, come back tomorrow. I came back tomorrow, and they made me run around the gym, like, 100 times or something, and they're like, how do you feel? And when I said felt, I said I felt fine, then they said I could go through non-contact, the next day I do layups and shooting drills. And if I still felt fine, then I could go full contact. So that's probably the procedure he's having to go through right now. I did see on Jalen Williams' Snapchat story, though, uh, that he was outside South Don getting a bag of food from somebody. Um, So it's good to see that he's out, kind of starting to get out a little bit. and He's starting to feel a little bit better. Uh, I think Auburn fans just really want him back on the floor. Yeah, really just make sure he's healthy at first. Exactly. We'll see because Sharif Cooper and Justin Powell, that court is going to be deadly. And it'll give another point guard option. Because Allen lately has just looked really uncomfortable handling the ball. I don't know what it has been. I think it's just Sharif's presence back has kind of just had to take some of that responsibility off him. But it happened in the Missouri game on his dunk. He was trying to get it across that court. Once he finally did, he did what he does best and drives to the basket. So um, having Justin Powell back not only adds a score on offense, but it gives somebody else that when Sharif needs a break, he can handle the ball. And when he needs to have a break, Sharif can handle the ball. And speaking of that dunk, Devin Cambridge put it best. He put... Jeremiah Tillman in the boom boom room. Yes. <laughs> I yes. thought that was a hilarious, was hilarious quote. But I you know, I think this team is gonna be great next year. They will be. I think without Sharif Cooper When Sharif comes back. Without Sharif Cooper, they will be ranked in the preseason top ten to fifteen. If by some miracle Sharif Cooper were to return, Auburn's gonna be a top three preseason team. Dude, if if Sharif Cooper comes back I just hope it's not a wasted year of all that. T- like, wasted year by saying Auburn does have all this potential and talent just for Auburn to get to the round of 32 and get upset or the round of, or the Sweet 16 and get upset. If Auburn starts the preseason ranked anywhere inside the top 10, you better believe Bruce Pearl is going to have them in the Elite Eight or Final Four. Here, here's the thing. Even if they were to get knocked out early, Auburn will probably have, with Sharif Cooper coming back, three first-round picks in the 2022 NBA draft. That would be nuts because I think that Cooper – and Jabari Smith are surefire first-round picks. And I'm predicting JT Thor JT is a first-round pick next exactly. year. Exactly. I agree. I mean, and that's the thing is JT Thor right now, I mean, he's supposed to be in high school. And, I mean, I think if he really had a great second half of the season this year, he could go. I mean, yeah. if he really wanted to. Yeah. All the commentators on TV talk about how big and great his body is for the NBA. Um, I don't know. I agree, though. I think I think that's really what drives Shreve. Because Shreve's a competitor. I, I really do think Shreve does love Auburn. I think he does want to come back. But sometimes you just can't resist that. That first round pick money. Did you see uh, his sister's tweet about watching Auburn games? Yes. Tia Cooper. She said that I can't. I can't phrase it exactly what she said, but it was along the lines of, "Man, Auburn always has to make these games close." Yes. Welcome to the life of Auburn fandom, to Sharif Cooper's family. <laughs> Moving on to the NFL. And this past weekend was not good for either of us, Bay. This is a sore, sore, sore subject right now in our household. I mean, I was circling the wagons like crazy. Bay was yelling, go Pack, go. And not, neither of us were happy on Sunday nights. So, here's the thing. As I said it on the show last week, live on WGL, was that earlier this season in Tampa, when Green Bay was rolling, rolling along, and rolls into Tom Bradyville, that they get the absolute break speed off of them. And I feared that happening again 
this past weekend. We didn't get the brakes beat off of us, but the reason we lost was not only because of Tampa Bay's defense shutting us down and Tom Brady continuing to be the GOAT at the age of, what, 43, but because when we were in a one-score, eight-point game on fourth and three, or fourth and goal from the three, we kick a field goal instead of going for it. That's why we lost. Matt, listen, I it might have been an overreaction that day. I said I would have fired Matt LaFleur. I don't think it's fireable because, it, well, this is a huge debate. Because that is a pathetic decision. I agree. It I is gone for it. pathetic. Like, it is just such a bad, in the NFC Championship, this isn't week 16. This isn't week two. This is the NFC Championship. Second year in a row. With Aaron Rodgers against Tom Brady. It's not like you're playing some random team that made a run. You're playing Tom Brady. Why are you going to get him the ball back? In his defense, the only two things I can defend him for is, A, Aaron Rodgers should have scored on third and goal. Yes, I agree with that. Aaron Rodgers should have ran the ball. He had five or six yards. He could have made the pile on. But B, after all the turnovers that Tom Brady had in the second half, Green Bay was getting stalled. They finally had the ball moving downfield. And he was probably sitting there thinking, like, my offense is hot. Let me kick it up there. I have a few timeouts, and I'll get the ball back and score with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Green Bay ends up, ends up losing by five. And I liked Tom Brady before Sunday, but I'm not a huge Tom Brady guy anymore. <laughs> Biggest Patrick Mahomes here, fan here on oh, the I podcast. Love Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> but, well, I mean, I think this is part of it. I don't know what the analytics were on this specific play, but I still think it goes back to whole like the NFL coaches are just so hammer like they're just hammering analytics so much that maybe it just it just consumed him. He's like, you know, it's fourth and goal, we got a few yards to go. I should take the field goal and trust my defense. Whereas it's like You should just go for go it. Go for it. If you don't get it, they're gonna be in close to the yard I line. I completely so. agree. And not only that, but console your quarterback. He's out there mm-hmm. commanding the offense, one of the greatest of all times, has won a Super Bowl before, and, I mean, he, he had the ball moving. That's the biggest reason is Aaron knew what was going on, and especially Tom Brady doesn't throw three picks in a game, folks. Tom Brady threw three picks. Those are hard to come by, and when you don't score on any of them and you kick one field goal off of them, that is the definition of blown opportunity in my textbook. I mean, it absolutely is. And we'll get to the game earlier, but I mean, it even happened later that night with the Bills. Mm-hmm. Sean McDermott chose to, sh- <laughs> to kick a field goal from the two-yard line with 11 seconds left in the first half. Yeah. When they were down 21 to nine, so they made it. They turned it from a two-possession game to a two-possession game. And you're playing the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the most prolific offenses, if not the most prolific offense in the NFL. You know, this is just kind of a whole broad subject of like. NFL coaches, what are they doing? What are they thinking? They just, I don't understand it either. I mean, we were hoping to circle, circle the wagons. I mean, Josh Allen had a great day, nearly 300 passing yards, two touchdowns, did have a pick. Um, and Josh Allen actually was the leading rusher for Buffalo with 88 <laughs> yards. That's, that's usually not a surprise this year, especially after Zach Moss. Yes. Went down with injury in the wild card round. But in case anybody was wondering, Patrick Mahomes did come out of concussion protocol. He did end up playing. Through for 325 and three touchdowns. So hopefully he doesn't win the MVP. I think Aaron Rodgers will still win it. But I think he's got that locked up. Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers. Okay, yes, I agree. I just, I'm the biggest Chiefs fan in the world right now. That's all I got to <laughs> say about these games. I, you know, it was a fun, a fun ride with the Buffalo Bills. It was. Everybody was pulling for them. The fans, the fan base is awesome. We obviously didn't get the full effect of that fan base this season due to COVID and 
no packed stadiums. Bills Mafia. Bills Mafia is just a glorious, beautiful. I mean, they're classy. They're passionate. I mean, we've seen what they did for Lamar Jackson's charity that back in cool. Louisville, Very cool. donating yep. a lot of money after he went down with an injury against him in the divisional round. And also, we know about the passion. I mean, they destroy tables for no reason, just yeah. because. Just because they, they care can. about their just Buffalo they can. Bills. But I mean, I really think that Josh Allen is. Those young quarterbacks, he's he's up there with Patrick Mahomes. Not I shouldn't say I shouldn't compare him to Patrick Mahomes, but he's in that tier of top young quarterbacks. Of course, he Patrick is. Mahomes is his own tier, but that top tier, See, he's up there now. And that's funny you mentioned that was like a lot of the comparisons now is that it, the Super Bowl this year is the young goat versus the old goat, and in the AFC Championship, I think America was kind of going to be happy with the result of either game. Right. Um, and the thing is, is somebody said, enjoy Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs now because in five or six years, you're really going to hate them. True. Because they're going to be, True. with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes being so young, they're going to win several titles. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's got, what, like a 10-year contract, yes. something crazy like that, $500 million man. Yeah, it's going to turn into Tom, it's gonna, he's going to turn into Tom Brady being the villain. I do think that he's probably a bit more likable. Yes. He also doesn't have a cheating Brady. scandal against him in his career. So, so far... He's doing okay. Now, of course, Do that I can hear, totally change. Are you predicting for him to cheat? I'm just saying. You never know. You never know. You never, you never know. would have thought Tom Brady would have cheated. Exactly. That happened. But but I kind of want to talk about a, whole, a broader subject. Aaron Rodgers. I don't think there's any – he's not He's not yeah. leaving Green Bay. But I do want to talk about kind of just I – mean, what is the state of that relationship between him and the Packers? Okay, so here's the deal. You're coming off your first year with Matt LaFleur, right? You make it to the NFC Championship. You play a really tough 49ers team. And you end up losing. Still, you made an NFC Championship in the first year of a head coach. That's a great season. Aaron Rodgers probably really happy with the front office. I know in the past, Aaron Rodgers has had problems with them not going after certain position groups or certain players that he would enjoy playing with and be successful with. So I know that there's that rough patch. But then when you draft Jordan Love, in the first round, when you were desperately looking for another skill player, and you draft a quarterback who also was probably one of the least like or one of the how do I put this? He wasn't the most skilled quarterback in that first round that you could have gotten. And you turn around and do that when Aaron Rodgers still has several years left on his contract. That's kind of a slap in the face. So when Aaron Rodgers goes on a revenge tour, has the best season of his career, is up for the MVP, and is probably going to win it like Jacob was mentioning earlier. And then you turn around and do that in the NFC Championship game. It leaves things shaky. And me as a Packers fan personally, I hope Aaron's just saying all this stuff about you don't know what guys are going to be here next year. I hope he's just saying that to kind of rub some people the wrong way and threaten him leaving. He said he has said before he wants to play his whole career in Green Bay, which I hope he does. I, I am a huge advocate for that. I will raise a GoFundMe if it takes money to get him to stay. <laughs> but I think he's saying that to prove, prove a point, saying, hey, like I can leave anytime I want to, and I'm not scared to ask for a trade. So I just hope the Packers front office isn't just, you know, putting the organization up for failure. But that is the one guy you not want to piss off right now. I mean, see, and I just felt like this year was a great year for Aaron Rodgers to go get that second Super Bowl ring. It I mean, was. This was the perfect the year. The defense was there. They had the defense. Of course, his left tackle going down, that wasn't great. And I think yes. the Bucks had five or six I was about to say, Bakhtiari was a big reason, too. So it's just one of those things where you had every piece that you needed to win that Super Bowl other than your left tackle here in the playoffs. But even without that, I don't think that was just the complete the reason the Packers lose. Mm -hmm. And I really think that Aaron Rodgers is one of those guys that doesn't care too much about his 
about his accolades, about getting all those rings, but he is very much so wanting to do that because he doesn't want to be that guy that's just talking about like man he was really talented but he only won one super bowl exactly I agree. so it's 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 something that he really needs to i think he is going to put himself in a position where he's going to have leverage he is wherever he wants to go because he's still got several years well yeah he does and i under like i understand where he's coming from because like he understands that he's one of the best quarterbacks to do it and what i don't understand is if you're a general manager and he's on your squad why not listen to him and give him the tools he knows that he needs to succeed? I mean, Aaron Rodgers was pushing for a skill player like a wide receiver, or even he, I think he was kind of pushing for a safety last year because that's where our defense was lacking this year. And instead of doing that, they draft Jordan Love. Well, then he asked for a running back, and I think they that was why they drafted A.J. Dillon, who ended up being a good asset towards the end of the year too. So I think the biggest thing for Green Bay is if you want a successful next four, year, four or five years that he's still in the league, you give him what he wants and make him happy. Yeah, and I, I don't know. The NFL is going. They're talking to, conspiracies about him going to like Indianapolis. The NFL is going to get crazy this soft season, dude. Because okay, there's eight. I think it was like 18 teams that are looking to like move around quarterbacks or that are in need of a quarterback right now. And then you have a bunch of free agents or people requesting a trade like Deshaun Watson, Matthew Stafford, Philip Rivers just retired. So there is, and of course, the draft has plenty of quarterbacks yes. too. So. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson. Kyle Trask, Zach Wilson, all these guys. So uh, Trey Lance. So um, yeah, Jacob. Jacob hit the nail on the head. We're in for a very fun off season. And the Super Bowl in two weeks. I, I guess we're about a week and a half away from it now. The Bucks and the Chiefs. Buccaneers first team to host a Super Bowl and play in it. And the Kansas City Chiefs. Right now they're a three point favorite. We'll see how that line shifts as we get closer to the game. But it's time to move on towards the NBA. There's been a lot of talks over the last few days about what the what NBA All-Star Weekend is going to look like. It's probably it's not going to be normal. It'll probably be simply one game. And even if they don't have a game, we're going to have NBA All-Stars. And voting opened up today. And, you know, it's an interesting year. And it started late. We're not as deep into the season. It's only a 72-game schedule, so you're not getting to the usual 82. But... No fans. It, it's it's unusual, but kind of let's talk about who like our surefire all stars are like right now. Well, number one is Kevin Durant. I mean, Kevin Durant. I think it was it was it was either ESPN or a Bleacher Report account that put out a graphic today um, about how Kevin Durant has very similar statistics this year to when Steph Curry was the unanimous MVP a few years ago. His statistics like thirty something points a game and then a few assists and rebounds a game. Um, so obviously Kevin Durant's up there. He's he's had a great comeback. Excuse me, he's had a great comeback year. He obviously is coming off that injury. I think that would speak volumes if you put him in the game. Then as I look at the regular season stats right here, Bradley Beal, who <laughs> deserves way more than what he's getting, the least we can do is put the guy in the All Star game. Hey, hey, come on. What color is the sky? It, it's blue. Yeah. Are you unhappy? Yeah. It's he's just he deserves that. I want to talk about him a little bit because the Wizards have just. When they got John Wall, it felt like they were going to eventually become a force in the East. And they made a few playoffs. But then John Wall started getting injured, and they never really built around him other than Bradley Beal. So it just kind of, they had a chance of getting Kevin Durant a few offseasons ago, bring him home. But, I mean, I just think that it's time to for them to completely get rid of Bradley Beal, get a they lot. They need new front office. They need money. They need picks. They need a new front office, obviously. They need a complete remake over. 
I feel bad for Bradley Beal. Oh, I, I mean, do too. I mean, he what he's averaging thirty five point four points per game to lead the NBA. He scored forty seven the other night in a loss. That's kind of like last year when he scored fifty two games in a row and lost. Yeah. yeah, I think he might have scored sixty in one of those games. But besides the point, Bradley Beal is a surefire All Star because he's just set to play basketball, and it doesn't matter what he's surrounded with, he's going to play well. Yeah, so he he deserves to be in the games, and then you have the obvious, you know, LeBron's. the LeBrons and AD. Steph Curry does definitely deserves to be back after his hand injury from last year. He's averaging almost twenty eight a game, so he really is kind of making his comeback. hasn't really skipped a beat. Um, there there are definitely some several guys you could put in there. So Nikola Jokic is a guy I want to talk about because I mean this guy is looking like, like a triple double. Yeah. This guy is an MVP candidate. Yeah, and of course it's going to be tough to beat guys like LeBron and Giannis Antetokounmpo. And Luka Doncic, he looks like, not right now, he's going to be an MVP kind of guy, but you never know what he can do in the second half of the season. I think Jokic is going to be in that top three of MVP voting. I think he's got a good chance to win it. It just sucks that he doesn't really have the, the name power that LeBron or Giannis has, or even a Steph Curry. He's not going to win the MVP because his team is not it's not good enough to win the, uh, for him to win the MVP. But, I mean, just looking at a potential, I'm looking at a potential West starters. Yeah, LeBron, Nikola Jokic, Kawhi Leonard, Damian Lillard, and Luka Doncic. On the East, you have Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, Bradley Beal, Jalen Brown. We should talk about Joel Embiid a little bit. Yeah. He's been playing great, especially for a Sixers team that's had COVID issues yeah. and everything this year. Brand new coach in Doc Rivers. I don't know what he's sparked into him, but I mean... The process is over. The time is now for Philadelphia, and he's kind of really showing out. He's averaging almost 28 a game, just like Curry. Um, we saw him play, what was that, last night against the Lakers in a, a close victory, and he um, he had a really good game. I just think that he's kind of starting to show physically what he's able to do. Cause, I mean, he's one of the biggest guys in the NBA. So you think that he'd be one of the better players, and he is. He's kind of developing into one of those uh, star-talented centers that we always love to see in the NBA. So, Joel Embiid, he's he's one of the more deserving ones as well. Well, especially because he can score in every way possible. He can. He's very good, honestly, inside the paint. He's tall enough and big enough, but he can shoot the three and he can handle the ball decently for a big man. He can. I really think that looking at the benches, some guys like Steph Curry's gonna be on the bench, but like he should definitely be in. But then you got guys like Zion. He's gonna make the All Star game for the first time. Big name, and I think he's not quite. If you look at his performance, maybe he's not quite an all-star yet, but he is getting there. He is. He's, he's going to be there soon. He's somebody that, I mean, came into the league with the most, uh, how do I put this, the most fandom and expectations since LeBron. I mean, he came into college like that. That's true. I mean, he's our age, graduated high school the same year we did. Um, so I think it's been harder for him to kind of put out, especially last year after he started slowly and then ended up not winning the rookie of the year, which John Morant was the most deserving. But he, for him to put himself into consideration in his second year for the All-Star game, that speaks a lot. It speaks about what value he brings to New Orleans, what his potential is, and what he can do throughout his career. Yeah, and I really think that Zion, like I said, he's going to be in the All-Star game this year because of the name, because of the voting. I'm not sure his performance backs it up, but it's good enough for me where I'm like, yeah, he can have it. It's just enough for you to continue to buy hype. Exactly, and I, I mean, man... He's going to be fun to watch over his entire career. And it seems that guys like Morant got hurt because I think he'd have a better chance at being in the All-Star game if he weren't to sprain his ankle. But he probably won't play this year. He's in play for it, but it's going to be tough. And, like, you got guys from last year, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. The West is always 
crazy because of how talented it is out there. And I think players like from the Jazz, they don't have all the hype around them just because they play for the Jazz. Right. Well, I mean, one thing is, speaking of the West and young players starting to kind of show out is another former number one overall pick, DeAndre Ayton. I mean, he came into the league from Arizona, had really high expectations, and didn't fulfill them for the first year or two he was in the league. Now he's averaging over 12 rebounds a game. He's really kind of putting himself out there with the Suns, and especially having that veteran presence of Chris Paul and having a sharpshooter like Devin Booker really helps out your team. So I think DeAndre Ayton is really starting to feel comfortable in the NBA, and he's physically and talented and gifted. Um, I think he's kind of starting to take shape, and I think that'll be somebody even over on the west side to continue to battle with Nikola Jokic and Rudy Gobert for a few more years to come. And looking over the east, another young man, Trey Young. My Hawks, Hawks, they haven't played as great this year as I expected them to. Should have won last night. They should have against the Nets, but fell in overtime to James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. But Trey Young's probably still going to make the All-Star game. He'll be on the bench. But, I mean, I think that he's continuing his his trend up to be one of the best shooters in the NBA. Right? I mean, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't look great. Mm-hmm. But he does a great job with doing everything else great. Yeah. And then other young guys, Colin Sexton, former Alabama player, he's really starting to remember when he beat – the Nets by, by himself. himself. <laughs> yeah. He was playing. It was well, they the were out Darius Garland, too. It was the first game with the big three. And Colin Sexton said, oh, I'll score 20 straight points in overtime, double overtime. I think he finished with 47 points. Yeah. That was nuts. I mean, that guy is an exciting player. He's also playing with Isaac Okoro. Okoro, he's on the all-star discussion. but Sadly. He will be. He will be at some point. He needs to. His offensive game still needs to be a little polished. Right now, it's... It's all about the defense for him, and he's doing a good job at impacting games. He had a guard LeBron the other night. He did. Man, that, that was sad seeing that video of LeBron hitting that shot over Well, it was such great defense. It was perfect defense. 99% of the players in the NBA don't make that shot. The only way the defense could have been better is if he blocked it. and He wasn't going to block that. You're not blocking it. Shorter than LeBron. Shot. Yeah. No. And, of course, that was also a 21-point fourth quarter for LeBron after yes. someone on the Cavs I don't know if it was a fan or who it was. It was a front office. Front office exec. Did you see the video? I did not see the... I saw the video, the broadcast video. No, you need to look up the video from a better video. So, yeah, so like uh, with COVID, no fans are in the arena. And then like the Cavs front office was sitting across from the Cavs bench. And LeBron, as the clock was winding down, misses the shot. And I don't know who it was. I literally didn't recognize the person. But they stood up and they started clapping and cheering really loud as the quarter ended. And LeBron turned around and saw who it was as he was sitting back down. He just started nodding at him, and that's all LeBron needed. <laughs> I was going to say, that, that that was all she wrote for LeBron whenever he went and scored 21 points. But You need to go watch that video. It's, it's I, hilarious. I, I do. Cause I, like I said, I saw the broadcast, and I couldn't imagine how – I bet he was excited. Well, I couldn't imagine doing that to LeBron in the first place. I mean, Cavs fans are – they, they feel they're like they ruthless. Yeah. They're ruthless against LeBron. We, we saw them burn his, his jerseys 10 years ago. And then bring him back, and then they hate him again. Yeah, I don't know. If they hate him as much now. He because they championship, hate him championship, but they would have rather him been there. All Star Weekend is going to be interesting this year because of COVID. Don't even know if there's going to be a game. I think it'll be a game. I don't know about the dunk contest, three point shootout, and all of that because they're probably going to try to limit the. And plus, those are fan. Those are for the fans. And I don't know. I don't think the dunk contest or three point shootout has done as well on TV in the past several years where it might not be worth it to do it, whereas the All-Star game still does good TV I was going to say, the dunk contest is kind of... Yeah. Diminished. There's only so many dunks you can physically do besides yeah. 
blowing a candle out or putting on a Superman cape. Like, there's always... And I hate to say that because I love the dunk contest, but, like, nobody nowadays is coming to watch the skills contest or the three-point shootout. It's all about the dunk contest in the game. The game's changing the rules. That's why people yeah. keep coming back and watching. Well, I think the dunk contest also, it's the players in it. Yeah. I mean, some of these guys are, like, they're bench players that you really don't know who they are. They have insane hops. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, 30 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, you had Michael Jordan, Dr. J, you had Dominique Wilkins, you had all those kind of guys competing in the dunk contest, whereas now it's guys that are not great NBA players, but they can jump. Now, I will say that I still love all those events, but I do see why they wouldn't have them, because like I said, they're made for fans to be in it. They feed off that energy. Exactly, whereas on TV it's not as fun to watch and, and all that. I just want them to have a game. I hope it's I hope it's similar to last year. I kind of like the just the the weird rule. The only thing, and this is a very petty thing, is the free throw thing. Oh no, really? Yeah. The only the only problem that I have with the All Star games nowadays is I love the East versus West vibe. Okay. And now that we pick captains, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of that. But I guess I'm gonna be okay with it. I mean, maybe they are going back to East and West. I hope they do. Because I mean. I'm looking at an NBA article about It's more like a street ball game now. And it's called West Starters and West Reserves. So it might be East. I think they do that every year. They change. Okay. Yeah. And then they'll draft it. But yeah. Point is, I would also like to go back to East versus West. But I don't know if we'll ever do that because that is also a made for TV thing where you have LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo drafting players from the NBA. And you get great reactions whenever guys are drafting. This is more of like a street ball game than it is like, let's just pick the best guys and see them watch a play game. Basketball now it's like, oh, well, people aren't as interested. Let's add in this rule and this rule and this rule and this rule. See, I think the game itself, adding different rules and doing the way they did it last year, that was okay. I'm fine with that. I didn't like that it ended on a free throw. But it is what it is. I don't know how you can prevent that from happening because then it's just – not fair. You just foul constantly at the end of the game. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with All Star Weekend. We'll, we'll probably get an announcement in the next few weeks, next probably week or two. So I just need Zion to do the dunk contest one time. That would be that. See, that's that's another thing with him is that he gets so hyped up for things like that. Just don't know if he's ever gonna do it because it's not worth it for him. See that and like this is weird too. Like the only problem I really have with LeBron, I have two problems with LeBron's legacy. One, I love a great player that sticks with one, maybe two teams. And LeBron's been to three and that's very petty. But the other thing is that LeBron never competed in the dunk contest, (laughs) especially when he was younger and he really had hops. I would have loved to see a young LeBron take on somebody else. Yeah. Even like Kobe. Yeah. That would have been fun too. He competed in the dunk contest once or twice. So, and now they don't even play like in the Olympics anymore, which yeah, I hate. Too. That's that's a that's another topic for. We talked about day. that last week, and we got heated, so we'll we'll keep y'all from that. Of today. course, we can uh, we can talk about the Olympics whenever they officially cancel them. Unfortunately, for this yeah. summer, but we'll wait till twenty twenty four. We will. That's gonna do it for today's podcast of the scoreboard on Weagle ninety one point one Transistor, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find us. We'll be back next week live in studio. On Weagle 91.1 FM at 4 o'clock, ready to talk about Auburn football, basketball, whatever news is going around in the world of sports. For Bay Marks, I'm Jacob Hillman signing off. This has been the scoreboard on 91.1 FM WEGL with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Join us every Thursday at 4 as Jacob and Bay cover all the happenings in sports. You can keep up with all the great shows on Weagle by streaming us on our website at WEGLFM.com and following us on Twitter and Instagram at 91.1.
W-E-G-L underscore A-U.